0: Hey, everybody, this is Ruben, and you're listening to Amazing Stories. Eye of the Cricket by James Sallis. read by Ray Shell. We're in New Orleans in 1997. Lou Griffin, writer and teacher, is engaged once again as detective, attempting to discover the whereabouts of a young teenager, Sean Delaney. We live, metaphorically, striving always to match our lives to images we've accepted or imagined for them. Family man, middle American, true believer. Kendall Gibbs lived this way more than most. Everything about him expressed itself in relationship to one piece of land or another. Using the number Deborah O'Neill gave me, I first tried to reach him at what was apparently an office. A woman answered, White House Properties. And when I asked for Mr. Gibbs, suggested I try another number, proving to be a Garden District Tour Service. There they thought Gibbs was out looking at a commercial plot on Bayou St. John, after which to the best of their knowledge, he had no further appointments. Once again, I explained my interest that I was handling a missing persons case and needed to speak with Mr. Gibbs in regard to a recent acquisition, a donut shop at Jackson and Britannia, former donut shop. I never implied any connection with the police, but the young man to whom I spoke assumed police business and, being authorized to do so at his discretion, in such cases decided he could give me Mr. Gibbs' beeper number. I punched it in, and within the quarter hour had the man himself calling from what sounded like a very busy street. Kendall Gibbs, he said, all one word. Told him who I was, what I wanted thing I need most is to get in touch with the manager. There's not one. Assistant manager be the one you won't. Manager walked out over a year ago. People who own the place think, why pay someone to manage when this assistant's already doing it for scut wages? Guy with Woody Woodpecker hair. Yeah, that's him all right. Keith LeRoy. Keep expecting him to go, Ha 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 hard worker though. Boy it was the damn store. I'm keeping him in mind. Something comes up. Then you'd have an address for him. as I know no one does. Wouldn't give out an address, or phone number. You want his beeper or email? Gibbs gave me both, and I thanked him. He said, no problem, any time. Yo, a voice said on the phone five minutes after I beeped. Keith Leroy, what you want with him? I told him briefly, reminded him that we'd met the day before at Tasty D-Nut. "'I remember big guy, black suit, looked like linen, gold silk shirt. "'You still looking for Sean?' "'Yes, two days in a row now, off and on. "'I was setting personal records for dogged persistence. "'Good to have some continuity in your life. "'Okay, last few times I saw him, Delaney was hanging out with a guy. "'Thought he was a friend. "'I'm sure Delaney didn't have any others, but the guy had that look in his eye. "'Throw you over for a dollar?' You ever get his name? Never came up. He just show up, leaning against the wall, sitting on a customer's car. I asked the who he was, and he said that's my cousin. I told him to tell his cousin to stay off the customer's cars from now on. That it? Why don't you was thin? Then I'll try fattening it up. You have my thanks. And you have my your welcomes. Damn, ain't we a couple of well bred civilized types? sat looking at the envelope San Delaney had given me, at the phone numbers printed on it on the back flap in precise, squarish figures. Nine times out of ten, the one thing they don't tell you is the very thing you need to know. I dialed the number for Delaney's rented room, then, glancing up at the clock, his mother's. He'd said he took care of the family. Maybe that included watching the younger kids after school. Baldwin Delaney residence. the eight-year-old from the sound of it. Could I speak to Sam Delaney, I said. May I ask who's calling? I told her. I see if he's in. He was, and was on the phone in the time it took the hand to receive her over. Mr. Griffin, thank you for calling. You have news? Nothing substantial reason I'm calling is to ask you if you know anything about a cousin of Sean's guy he's been seen with lately. How lately? I said it wasn't show a couple of weeks maybe. and someone told you this was Sean's cousin. That's how Sean identified him to the assistant manager at the donut shop. Yes, sounded like they might be tight. We're getting that way anyhow. Did you get a name? No, I was afraid of that. So afraid that you didn't bother to tell me about it? I guess I thought if I said it aloud, somehow that was going to make it true. So who's this cousin? His name's Armentine Roach. Everyone calls him Army. And he's not a cousin. He's Sean's half-brother like I am. One of Sean's old man's other adventures. You know him? Much to my displeasure and misfortune, I do. Years back, Harmon showed up at our doorstep, saying he had no other place to go. Mom's a pushover, as always, has no idea how she's going to take care of the kids she already has, but never even skips a beat before taking in this new one. How long was he with you? Less than a year. First, money started disappearing from the coffee can in the kitchen, then from Mom's purse, 50 cents here, a dollar, then we heard neighbors start complaining. Mail was missing from their box, they say. A few days later, a car got stolen from up the street. Not long after, police came knocking at the door, wanting to know if an Armentine Rouch lived there. This had happened before then. Every place he lived is the kind of thing that usually escalates. Did here too. Cops came by more than once these last months. But then, on one of the rare days Armentine actually went to school, a teacher told him to do something he didn't feel much like doing and wound up with a pair of scissors in his chest. Rouch get tried for that? Yes, since it's 20 years, but they told us he'd be out when he hit 21. And you haven't seen him since then, right? No. Okay, for the time being, I guess that's it. Unless you have something else you forgot to tell me no I'm sorry I'll get back to you I hung up and immediately dialed Don here it is he said after I briefed him Armentine Army or RM Rouch went up on attempted second degree 20 to 30 Remanded to LTI by judicial order. That's Louisiana Training Institute. And I have no doubt he was trained there, though not quite the way society intended. Plea bargained? Couldn't. They'd have tried to kick it down to manslaughter, even aggravated assault. But statues say if the wounds to trunk or head, it's got to be second degree. He's out. 19th of August, happy birthday. Just like that. Yeah, butterfly time. But we've got an address. Well, I wish I was in New Orleans.
1: I can see in my dreams.
0: in front of a tract house just across the parish line off Old Metairie Road. Don's address had taken me to a pool room lounge on Jefferson Highway. The owner bartender didn't appreciate my questions, and the whole thing quickly developed into one of those standard dialogues involving baseball bats produced from beneath the bar and bodies hauled across the top of it, after which he decided maybe it would be okay to tell me where R.M. was staying. The front door gave with a sharp tug, Inside, I found hard evidence of habitation, stack of dishes, large tin of coffee, clothes that smelled of sweat hanging from nails in the wall. In one corner, tucked under a sleeping bag, I found torn envelopes addressed to Armitene Rauch and letters beginning, Dear Arm. In another room, I found jammed into the wall behind broken paneling and swaddled in a canvas backpack a long-barreled 22 target pistol. In the last room, I found a body lying face down. It wasn't Sean Delaney, but for a moment, for no good reason, I became absolutely certain that it was and couldn't shake the impression. I spent a couple of hours at the sheriff's office out there, In Jefferson, Paris, unlike Orleans, it's the sheriff who handles police work. Officers sat across tables from me, staring and served me plastic cups of coffee foul enough to elicit confession from the staunchest wrongdoer. I gave my statement, survived coffee and stares, and when they finally agreed to put a call through, spoke to Don Walsh. Lou, he said, I've been giving this some thought. What you need to work on is finding live bodies for a change, and maybe even the ones you're actually looking for. Good point. Let me talk to whoever's running the show. His brief conversation gained my release in a ride home in one of the patrol cars, nor did they make me drink any more coffee. A note from Norm Marcus pushed under my door, told me the kids on bikes had struck again, snatching a 70-year-old woman's purse and pushing her off the curb. Her leg snapped when she went down. Having then fed that and drank two cups of scalding tea in the rocker by the window that early Thursday morning, I was still thinking of the body and of Claire. I was thinking of that abandoned house in Metairie, how Armatine Rauch and others had been camping out there, as though it were only a shelter among trees, thinking how at every turn I seemed to keep running into people who were camping out, people living temporary lives. Maybe that's what we all do, ultimately. I was thinking, too, as I rarely did, of my mother. Growing up, I never realized that all families were not like ours, My mother had withdrawn from the world, walled herself within exacting rituals of breakfast, job, dinner, housework, church, sleep. My father had chosen, if he had a choice, to withdraw alongside her. There were in our home no visits from parental friends, fellow workers, schoolmates, no family outings to movies, restaurants, the park. And no acknowledgement of my mother's silent, palpable madness. Only years later did I begin to understand how strange and distorted that life was, distorted in ways no lens can ever correct, and how deeply scored by it I had been. I was awakened, suddenly by the phone, foundering in bright light, confused. I pushed my way up and out of the rocker. I'm afraid I have further bad news for you, said Richard Garces. You ready for it? I have a choice. You're missing. I'm what? Your guy over at University Hospital? The one that claims he's Lou Griffin? He's gone. He's what? He went AWOL last night, sometime between about four and six. And no one saw him? Kind of hard to believe no one would notice shape he was in. I'm surprised he could even walk. Yeah, everyone is. But people do the damnest things all the time, things you never thought they'd be capable of. Anyway, he'd been transferred to a room. When the charge nurse went in for a final check at the end of the shift, 6.20 or so, she says he was gone. His IV had been pulled out and was dripping onto the floor. He took along, toothpaste and toothbrush from a kit to hospital-issued patients, left the razor and everything else behind. He also left his hospital gown, and no one could figure out what he did for clothes till later on, when another patient down the hall got back from x-ray. Someone had popped the lock on the suitcase in his room, money and wallet untouched, but they took his clothes. Beige corduroy jeans, blue and yellow rugby shirt, shoes gone too, black Reeboks. You got all that from a friendly phone call? (laughs) Well, I asked a few questions, you know. I kind of had the idea you could use whatever I was able to get you. (laughs) I appreciate it, Richard. Believe me. I asked who his friend was at the hospital, wrote it down, said I'd check in later. Then I called Don, who told me he'd keep an ear open, and added, Damn, maybe it is you, Lou. Only man I know who's always at the hospital, though, before they can even slap tape on the bandages. When I hung up, I saw the blinking light on the machine. I hadn't checked this morning when I came in. The English department and Dean Treadwell would like me to call at my earliest convenience. My agent had small news and a smaller check on a couple of foreign sales of old books and Deborah O'Neill wanted to thank me for the flowers. I picked up the phone, but after a moment, put it down. I stood looking out the window, then got a pen and yellow legal pad from the shelf by the door, and returning to the rocker, wrote, This was the first time I saw her. Wearing a red dress, she came in from the darkness. We were almost alone there in the small cafe. Barely pausing, looking up only once or twice, I wrote for four hours. Snow, falling faintly and faintly falling. Beginning Wednesday afternoon as I headed home from the florist on Britannia, continuing on into the evening as I sat remembering Claire's death, then through the night, and in the Thursday morning, as I sat by the window riding about Laverne, temperatures had dropped like a kid cannonballing off a high dive. I only remember seeing snow one other time all these years, Deborah O'Neill said across from me. She wore a long print skirt, sleeveless t-shirt and vest. I'd been in town a week or so. That afternoon, I was sitting out on the balcony with a cup of coffee wrapped up in a blanket trying to, to make some kind of sense of things <laughs> the husband i'd left behind in florida the man i would moved here with a night shift job i hated all these voices i kept hearing inside my head they weren't talking to me but they were definitely talking to someone we sat across from one another watching snow fall myself Out the restaurant's front window, she in mirrors along the side, above tile. The waitress slid bowls of steaming gumbo off her tray, dropped a handful of packaged crackers between. And did you ever manage to make sense of things? For a moment she was silent. No. There was something about the snow, I don't know. But it made things, struggling to understand them, seemed less important because whatever I did whatever any of us did that snow was going to go right on falling on all the living and the dead she looked at me yes exactly and scooping up a spoonful of soup blew across it that's what I thought the voices were for a long time People who had died but were still around, who couldn't let go? I thought I was the only one able to hear them, or that for some reason they could only get through to me. Like I was the crystal in a homemade radio wound with wires. Other times I just thought I must be crazy. But obviously, at some point you decided you weren't. She nodded. They really were ghosts in a way, I suppose people trying to speak, to come into being through me. With time, I learned that I could put them in place, let them live there. I had called and asked Deborah O'Neill if she'd like to meet me for dinner at Casamento's on Magazine, just off Napoleon. If she were free, that is, or could arrange it, I didn't know her schedule. I'm glad you called, she said. I didn't think you would another spoonful of soup, half a buttered cracker. I hoped you would. You left the man you moved here with, I take it. That same afternoon, I was sitting at the kitchen table with my bags packed when he got home from work. The snow hadn't stuck, but there was a thin layer of ice on everything. I remember how it broke on the steps as I walked down them. I've lived alone ever since. How long? Almost ten years, though I have to think. My God, how is that possible? I was twenty when we moved here. Last month, I turned thirty. What about you? Did I live alone? Yes, even when I was living with someone, if Laverne had been right. And she was about most things. I told Deborah briefly about Laverne. Maybe not so briefly. She sounds like an amazing woman. She was. We talked on about what I did and had done for a living all these years. Deborah asked if she could have a glass of wine, and I said, of course, ordering coffee for myself. Well, whatever else it may have been, Lewis, you can never complain that your life's been boring. A United Cab pulled up out front and honked. So tell me, Detective Griffin, are you on a manhunt tonight? No, I said, looking about me. No, I'm not. Baby, come go home with me. Baby, come go home with me. Don Walsh's call at 8 in the morning hauled me from a dream and informed me that the body I'd found out on Old Metairie Road belonged to one Darryl Anthony Payne, dapper or Dap to his friends from his initials and looks both, apparently. He was or had been a model. Put himself through two years of school up at Tulane on what he made modeling clothes for mail-order catalogs with plenty left over for a fancy apartment overlooking St. Charles, a vintage M.G. Roadster, and holidays in Mexico. But then something happened. Something changed you looked at his life it was like reading a piece of paper held over a candle everything turning brown burning through from the center coming apart all of a sudden there was never enough money payments on credit cards got later smaller while finance charges kicked them into overdrive rent got paid only on demand and Darrell was out hustling jobs, TV commercials trade shows that he wouldn't have touched with gloves on a year ago Begin to look familiar, Walsh said. Gambling on drugs, a second life. You got it. We know of any connection between this guy and Armatine Rauch. Nothing on paper. Payne was on the long slide down, though, no doubt about that. Maybe he just fetched up against Rouch somewhere along his way. Kind of thing happens. I touched base with our regular snitches, sent some pigeons out. I'll let you know what they bring back. Thanks, Don. I'll be in touch. He made no reply, but the connection stayed open. Behind him, I heard the usual noise and bustle, ringing phones, raised voices, a steady low rumble like the sea. Don? Hmm? There's something else? Nah, not really. I heard him sip noisily from his purple, green, and gold Mardi Gras mug that read, It's a Bitch, I figured. It's Danny. He wasn't there when I got home Tuesday night, and I haven't heard from him since. I waited. Not the first time, of course. Not by a long shot. No. But you know that. I knew. Just as I knew Don's pain, there wasn't much I could do about either. So what am I worried about, right? Maybe things will work out, Don. Sure. I figure, give it another couple of days, then maybe I'll go looking. I have some time coming to me. Walsh must have had years coming to him. He routinely worked double shifts, days off, weekends, and holidays. The department had to threaten him with suspension just to get him to take his vacation. Comes down to it, maybe you'd go looking with me? No, maybe about it, old friend. You know that. Later then, Lou and thanks. I hung up thinking how, if you weren't careful, life could turn into a long chain of laters, one after another, till one day you looked around and there was nothing left, no trace of all the things you'd waited for, pushed ahead, done without. I was on my way showered when the phone rang again. Lewis? Deborah? I wanted to tell you how much I enjoyed last night, which I'm not used to, and that I hope we'll get together again soon. Call me. Bye. I stood listening to the dial tone. I hadn't said a word. I dialed her home number, and when the machine shut up and let me said, me too. Then I put on coffee, along with a pan of milk to warm. On the table nearby, sat the legal pad I had been writing in yesterday. That afternoon she woke from a dream. No. With a moment's thought I struck she and scrawled above it, I. That afternoon I woke from a dream. We turn to one another, his black mask above a white tuxedo, my own white mask above a dress of black silk. Beneath these unearthly buzzing streetlights, Lewis's lips move without sound. I cannot make out what he is saying. I reach for him, my hand huge as a sky. His face recedes from me like a train, pulling slowly away. When I was done, I went back through what i had written before and changed it all to first person. I had no idea any longer what it was I might be writing, memoir, essay, biography, fiction, but I found as well that I didn't care. Often before, I'd written close to my life and at the same time from a distance. What was true, what was not true, or, true perhaps, in some sense having little to do with mimicry, fact, accurate tracings of our lives. There were deeper currents, deeper connections, surely. I fumbled after them. As for the kitchen, came the smell of burning milk. Thank you for listening, and don't forget to join us tomorrow for yet another amazing story.